Blog Talk Radio. You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages, creator, author, victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people, and it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained, overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. And today is the 10th day of March 2022. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. And uh, my wife is going to be doing the reading tonight, but she is not home yet. But she is on the line. Kim, where are you at? Hi. So I am... Uh, two miles from the house. Okay. 
I'm trying pretty to be close. coy about book, how I say where I am. <laughs> I, yeah, it's fine. Um, so I'm almost to the death here, so I'm going to break up for just a second. But uh, okay. uh, basically, uh, Kim went to the store and she forgot her wallet at the school, so... She had to run back to the school, and then she needed gas, and then, so, yeah, little delays here and there. And she had to run out to help uh, to the uh, babysitters, too, which is 45 miles from our house. Anyway, uh, 50 miles from our house, something like that. Anyway, uh, I'm in the dip right now, so. Okay. I can still hear you. <laughs> Have you talked to Emmett? Um, no, I haven't. Uh, I've messaged him um, on what he is doing, and he has made me aware of what he is working on. I also got a message from one of his teachers today that he did a really good job on the Kahoot game that he made for that class for mythology. Um, so he got praised for that. Um so nothing negative today on his uh, tracker sheet. So that's good. He's doing a good job. Also, he's passing all of his classes um, as of today because uh, he retook. Or no, he passed in something. So. <laughs> yeah, he's still he recovering. Time. He's still recovering from his the COVID. from when he had COVID. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yep. he um, had three other ones the last week when we talked about those um, that he needed to recover and he has since recovered them all so um, this is also the third quarter so the fourth quarter he still has a chance to make up like the grades that are a continuous one but this just is more finalized because it goes in the grade book as what it was at the quarter or you know what I mean at the third quarter so anyways So I am home, and I'm beeping at her so that she will run out with the stuff and help grab things, Olivia. which is great. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so yesterday, <laughs> yesterday, I uh, was up at the mine, and I got a $10 mm-hmm. gift certificate to Little Caesars from the safety guy <laughs> at Savage. He said that I was the only one that he saw all day long from my company that actually put his wheel chalk down when I got out to get my truck loaded. And I told him it's because I'm paranoid and I just consider that I'm being watched all the time in the middle of the dark and all the time. So I just do what I'm supposed to do wherever I'm at because (laughs) I don't want to get in trouble. And I told him I hadn't had any kind of citation or anything since uh, 2000, and 2000, I think, is the last time, so 20, 21, 22 years ago, because I believe in doing what I am supposed to do. Um, I think laws and rules are a guideline that we should all follow, and um, it does drive me a little bit nuts that people think that laws are like, um, how do you say, that they're like suggestions 
<laughs> you know, and like, I don't know, it just drives me nuts when I'm driving around um, and people are just flying down the road like mad. And, you know, you've got these highway patrol that pull random people over uh, and they could work all day long and just keep on working and working and working and never take a break and always have somebody to pull over because nobody believes in laws, you know, and it's like laws are placed there for our, uh, for the most part, they're placed there for our, uh, just to protect society, especially traffic laws. And um, I've seen so many accidents caused by people not paying attention, people speeding, uh, doing other things, not looking where they're going, changing lanes without looking or turn turn signals or whatever. I'm always like the weird guy that's out in the middle of nowhere that uses his turn signals even when I think that there's nobody around me. But there's been times when there have been people around me, like because I drive a semi-truck and there's a bunch of blind spots, you know, and usually I'm like 100% aware of everything that's going on around me. Uh, but sometimes people sneak up because they're going 100 miles an hour. You know, I'm doing the speed limit and all of a sudden they're there. So, I don't know. I guess I believe that we should obey just laws. And I think the speed limit's a just law. And I remember when I was a kid, so I started driving this contraption that my grandfather made uh, when I was, and we could, we could, my sisters, my two sisters, and my grandpa and myself, we'd all sit on this thing, and I would sit uh, where the steering wheel was, and my grandpa had wooden legs from World War II, so he had the controls for speeding up and slowing down next to him, but I would be in the driver's seat driving around when I was like six or seven years old. And Kim can testify to this because she has seen the pictures. <laughs> um, but I started you driving. So cute. Uh, <laughs> I know. It was so much fun. I loved that thing. We would drive all over the place. Now, I, we grew up, I grew up in a town that had 30 people in it, in a county that had 850 people in it. And my grandpa was, like, really, really good friends with the sheriff in town, and then we had two deputies in the whole county, so, like, three law enforcement officers in the whole county, and then we had uh, EMT and fire department, one EMT and fire department for the whole county. <laughs> like, you can't get any smaller than where I'm from. But uh, I started driving the pickup truck. It was a 1975 Chevy Custom pickup truck when I was 10 years old. And then um, when I was 12, I started being able to go down to the dump with the trash, which was two miles south of town, so about three miles from the house. Every Wednesday, I would take the trash out and uh, take it down to the dump which was basically a big hole in the ground for many years. And then later on, it was they put these big trash-like containers that they could load up onto the back of, of trucks. And we would, I would drive out there and flip and dump the trash on uh, Wednesdays every week. And then when I was 12 also, uh, my job 
Well, I got paid $30 a week, plus room and board, <laughs> according to my grandpa. Anyway, uh, to chop wood for 30 minutes a day with my cousin Casey. And then I would, um, Casey and I would also have to cut stones to make jewelry, which my grandfather showed me how to do. And I'm actually wearing my ring right now that I, I mined out of our opal mine when I was 12 years old cut the stone, put it on the, uh, the backing, so it's opal, and we made triplets. So what a triplet is, is you take the opal and you cut down to where the fire is, which is the colorful part, part of the opal, and then you grind it, and then you put it, you glue it to this thing called a basalt rock. So you glue, glue it on there, and then you put as many caps on it, uh, quartz, quartz um, crystal caps on it on that rock and then you cut out each individual thing and then you grind it down until you find uh, until it you know it fits into a ring or a necklace or an earring or whatever it was so we did that every day and then we made uh, trips up to the mine every day on the weekdays and my job with my cousin was to go help the guy who uh, who was up there all the time. So there was a guy who lived at the mine, which was seven miles east of Spencer, Idaho, and then two miles up into onto the top of a mountain. It was like a crazy road to get up there. But anyway, so uh, we would go up there in the pickup truck, and then we would help mine. And then when my grandpa went up, my job was to walk in front of him because he had wooden legs. He lost both of his legs in World War II below the, below the knee, about, I don't know, four or five inches below the knee. So that's where the wooden legs started. And he wasn't very, like, he needed help. <laughs> so my job was to walk in front of him, and he would put both of his hands on my shoulders as I walked down into the open pit mine with all the loose gravel and all the stuff, and then we'd get to where he wanted to work and uh, to break rock and all this stuff, and then he would sit down and start going through it with his hammers and stuff, and then my job was to run back up and grab the buckets, and Casey also helped with all this, to grab the buckets so we could take the opal rock out of the mine, and then also drag down the air for the for the jackhammers the air supply and start the compressors for the jackhammers and the drills and the drills were so we could set charges dynamite charges in the mine and blow rock apart so <laughs> it was fun and I really really missed that time in my life with my grandfather so um I am almost to the mine road, headed up to grab 42 to 43 tons of coal and take it wherever they need me to take it. So, Kim, are you ready to read? Yeah, I am. I'm um, in my care. I was having issues finding my favorite birthday presents that I've gotten thus far from you, and I'm a little bit like, oh, where is it? Because... I have my flashlight, but I wanted my head flashlight. What the heck did I do with it? It was in my pocket this morning. Sad face. So I have to find yeah. it. Yeah, you know, 
because I was thinking I important would like to, to have <laughs> one of those head head lamps like you have. Oh my gosh! And it's I so want to awesome. glue it. I want to glue it to the front of my uh, my hard hat because, like, when I'm walking <laughs> around the trailer at night, it would um, fall. And it I've would got, fall if you didn't glue it. I would. Well, I, if I buy one, I want to get. I want to glue it. But anyway, so yeah. um, I have to hold a, a rubber mat and a mallet, one in each hand, and I I hit the side of the metal trailers with this mallet and I don't want to put marks on the trailer so I hold this mat and I try to hold the flashlight in my armpit so but it's hard for me to like hold the the flashlight and the rubber mat uh, on the hand and in the armpit of that hand that goes down you know whatever and then bang on the trailers because um, I can't reach up as high as I'd like to with no help, you know, whatever. So anyway, I was thinking about that. I was like, man, I want one of those. And I've seen other guys use them too. But uh, we'll do that maybe next month. Uh, this month we have house things that we have to have to do to fix the house and uh, do all the things. So anyway, I am going up the mine road and I am going to break up what is the we're reading uh, how to qualify for the celestial kingdom today by James yep. C. Cox who uh, was a personal friend of mine and uh, his name is James B. Cox and we're going to be reading chapter 3 of section 1 section 1 is called a perfect brightness of hope and chapter 3 is uh, questions on the Celestial Kingdom, I think. And Kim is going to be reading, and I will mute myself and then pop in from time to time to add uh, information. Okay. So, Chapter 3, ahead, Answers to Celestial Kingdom Questions. I have to be perfect before I can receive a Celestial The answer is no just clean and progressing spiritually. There are three levels in the celestial glory. If a person had to be perfect in order to enter, there would be no need for three different levels. For example, a seven-year-old can lie, cheat, steal, and kick his little sister and die before the age eight and still inherit the highest degree in the celestial kingdom. Why? Because he is clean. He cannot sin until the age of eight. He transgressed some laws, but because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice, he is clean, worthy to enter into exaltation. Did you want to say something? Hello? Hello? Oh, maybe not. I just could hear you. Little children shall be saved. They are alive in Christ and shall have eternal life. For them... The family unit will continue, and the fullness of exaltation is theirs. No blessing shall be withheld. They shall rise in immortal glory, grow to full maturity, and live forever in the highest heaven of the celestial kingdom. <clears throat> Brigham Young responds to this question as follows. Sorry, I was just thinking about that for a minute because then that means that my daughter Emma and my son Ezekiel will still have that possibility. And so whenever I think of stuff like that, then I'm just reminded and it makes me have to take a deep breath. 
if a person with an honest heart, a broken, contrite, and pure spirit in all fervency and honesty of soul presents himself and says that he wishes to be baptized for the remission of his sins, and the ordinance is administered by one having authority, is that man saved? Yes, to that period of time. Should the Lord see proper to take him then from the earth? The man has believed and been baptized and is a fit subject for heaven, a candidate for the kingdom of God in the celestial world, because he has the kingdom of God in the celestial world, because he has repented and done all that was required of him in that hour. Question, but don't I have to be perfect before I can be assured exaltation? Answer comes from Elder McConkie. Answer, he answered this question. Um, and Bruce R. McConkie, M. Sign, April 1977, page 3. He first quotes Second Nephi 31:20, then says the following. Well, let's go ahead and read um, Third Nephi or Second Nephi. Um, I'm just looking it up. So, let's see. Okay, Second Nephi. 31, verse 19, 20, 21, because that's what I do, um, says, And now, my beloved brethren, after ye have gotten into I would ask if all is done. Behold, I say unto you, Nay, for ye have not come thus far, save it were by the word of Christ, with unshaken faith in him, relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. Wherefore, this is chapter 20, Wherefore, ye must press forward with, sed- with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and of, and of all men. Wherefore, if ye shall press upon the word of Christ and endure to the end, behold, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. And 21, And now behold, my bro- beloved brethren, this is the way. And there is none other way nor name given under heaven whereby man can be saved in the kingdom of God. And now behold, this is the doctrine of Christ and the only and true doctrine of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, which is one God without end. Amen. Okay. And then McConkie goes on to say, all the faithful saints of those who have endured to the end Depart this life with the absolute guarantee of eternal life. There is no equivocation, no doubt, no uncertainty in our minds. Those who have been true and faithful in this life will not fall by the wayside in the life to come. If they keep their covenants here and now and depart this life firm and true in the testimony of our blessed Lord, they shall come forth with an inheritance of eternal life. We do not mean to say that those who die in the Lord and who are true and faithful in this life must be perfect in all things when they go into the next sphere of existence. There was only one perfect man, the Lord Jesus, whose father was God. But what we are saying is that when the saints of God chart a course of righteousness, when they gain sure testimonies of the truth and divinity of the Lord's work, when they keep the commandments, when they overcome the word, the world, 
when they put for, first in their lives the, king, the things of God's kingdom, when they do all these things and then depart this life, though they have not yet become perfect, they shall nevertheless gain eternal life in our Father's kingdom. And eventually they shall be perfect as God their Father and Christ his Son are perfect. That comes from Bruce R. McConkie, Ensign, November 1976, page 107. Next question. What does it mean to be perfect? Joseph Fielding Smith gives us some insight into Matthew 5, verse 48. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Salvation does not come all at once. We are commanded to be perfect, even as our Father in heaven is perfect. It will take ages to accomplish this end. For there will be greater progress beyond the grave, and it will be there that the faithful will overcome all things and receive all things, even the fullness of the Father's glory. I believe the Lord means just what he said, that we should be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. That will not come all at once, but line upon line and precept upon precept. Example upon example, and even then, not as long as we live in this mortal life. For we will have to go even beyond the grave before we reach that perfection and shall be like God. Bruce R. McConkie suggests a definition for two kinds of perfection. In Joseph Fielding Smith's Doctrines of Salvation, volume 2, page 18, um, is where that last quote came with Joseph Fielding Smith. I just forgot to tell you the quote. Okay, moving on with Bruce R. McConkie. Number one, finite or mortal perfection. It consists in living a God-fearing life of devotion to the truth, of walking in complete submission to the will of the Lord, and of putting first in one's life the things of the kingdom of God. And number two, infinite perfection is reserved for those who overcome all things and inherit the fullness of the Father. In the mansions hereafter, it consists in gaining eternal life, the kind of life which God has in the highest heaven within the celestial world. That comes from Bruce R. McConkie, Mormon Doctrine, page 567. Joseph Smith defines the perfect person as one who has acquired all the attributes of God to the degree he has developed them. Some of these attributes are knowledge of things, of all things, faith or power, justice, righteous judgments, mercy, and truth. Because of these attributes, man can exercise faith in God and thereby remove doubt and gain eternal life. Bruce R. McConkie indicates that Jesus didn't receive infinite perfection until he received all power in heaven and earth, which was given to him after his resurrection. He also indicates that the attainment of infinite perfection includes the acquisition of all the attributes of godliness in their fearfulness or in their fullness, I'm sorry, in their fullness. So a person who is perfect as the father is perfect has also gained the same degree of mercy possessed by deity. Our focus needs to be on spiritual progression rather than perfection. We will become like God, for we love him and want to be like him. However, for now, I will concentrate on overcoming the world by learning and applying the gospel in my life and seeking the guidance of my Father in heaven. Um, And then 
our next one, uh, our next question. Did you have anything to say about those um, so far? That last quote was from Bruce R. McConkie, Doctrinal New Testament Commentary, Bookcraft, Volume 1, page 231. Okay, we'll move right along then and go into our next question. Does one become perfect overnight? Well, that's a no-brainer. And he received not of the fullness at first, but continued from grace to grace until he received a fullness. And thus he was called the son of God because he received not the fullness at first. That's from DNC chapter 93, verses 13 and 14. <clears throat> we can go in and read the fullness of that. Um, yeah, Arius is playing cards. I'm sure everybody can hear that. Um, DNC 93, 13 and 14. Arius, Lydia, can you hear what he was saying on the radio show? Okay. So verse 12, and I, John, saw that he received not the fullness at first, but received grace for grace. And 13, and he received not the fullness at first, but continued from grace to grace until he received a fullness. And verse 14, and thus he was called the Son of God because he received not the fullness at first. And verse 15, and I, John, bear record, and lo, the heavens were open, and the Holy Ghost descended upon him in the form of a dove, and sat upon him, and there came a voice out of heaven saying, this is my beloved son. Okay, next question. Excuse me. Am I justified if I am on the road to perfection and progressing? Joseph Fielding Smith has answered this question in Doctrines of Salvation, Volume 2, page 18 and 19. It is our duty to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today. Why? Because we are on that road. If we are keeping the commandments of the Lord, we are on that road to perfection and that can only come through obedience and the desire in our hearts to overcome the world. <clears throat> that is from Joseph Fielding Smith, Doctrines of Salvation, Volume 2, page 18 and 19. Next question. How can one tell if his level of spiritual performance is acceptable to God? Answer. What then is the law of justification? It is simply this. In D&C 132, verse 7, all covenants, contracts, bonds, obligations, oaths, vows, performances, connections, associations, or expectations in which men must abide to be saved and exalted must be entered into and performed in righteousness so that the Holy Spirit can justify the candidate for salvation. We know when something is justified because the Spirit will be with us. The companionship of the Spirit graciously extended by the Lord is the witness or evidence of justification. So like Mark was saying, I think it was last night, um, when, you are, when you do feel the Spirit, when the Spirit is with you, you are clean and forgiven because the Spirit does not dwell in unclean places. So that's where 
Um, this is also talking about that justification. Um, we are all sinners. We're all working towards being better and doing better um, daily. Sometimes it is hourly, <laughs> and we're trying to do better. And that is um, our level of progression so that we are trying to be better than we once were and um, have this eternal progression continue. So keep the spirit with you often and always so that way you know that you are forgiven and you are justified. Next question, what does it mean to be saved or to gain one's salvation? Answer, Elder McConkie in Mormon Doctrine says the following. It's a Mormon Doctrine page 670, if everybody, anybody else was looking it up. <clears throat> salvation, in its true and full meaning, is synonymous with exaltation or eternal life and consists in gaining an inheritance in the highest of the three heavens within the celestial kingdom. With few exceptions, this is the salvation of which the scriptures speak. It is the salvation which saints seek. It is of this which the Lord says in D&C chapter 6, verse 13, there is no gift greater than the gift of salvation. <clears throat> End quote. This full salvation is obtained in and through the continuation of the family unit in eternity, and those who obtain it are gods. Um, and that is quoting D&C 131, 1 through 4. I'm going to go ahead and read that in its entirety because it's not even partially quoted there. So let's get into that, D&C 131, if you are following along or reading it with me. Um, and then we'll read verses 1 through 4. In the celestial glory, there are three. And in order to obtain the highest, a man must enter into this order of the priesthood, meaning the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. And if he does not, he cannot obtain it. He may enter into the other, but that is the end of his kingdom. He cannot have an increase. And then also it says, D&C 132, and like it says the whole entire thing. So let's go ahead and read that. Um, speak now or, or, or forever hold your peace because it just quotes D&C 132 specifically. So <clears throat> it states, Verily, thus saith the Lord unto you, my servant Joseph, that inasmuch as you have inquired of my hand to know and understand wherein I, the Lord, justified my servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as also Moses, David, and Solomon, my servants, as touching the principle and doctrine of their having many wives and concubines. Behold, and lo, I am the Lord thy God, and will answer thee as touching this matter. Therefore, prepare thy heart to receive and obey the instructions which I am about to give unto you. For all those who have this law revealed unto them must obey the same. For behold, I reveal unto you a new and everlasting covenant. And if ye abide not that covenant, then ye are damned. For no one can reject this covenant and be permitted to enter into my glory. For all who will have a blessing at my hand shall abide the law, which was appointed for that blessing, and the conditions thereof as were instituted from before the foundation of the world. And as pertaining to the new and everlasting covenant, it was instituted for the fullness of my glory. And he that receiveth the fullness thereof must and shall abide the law or he shall be damned, saith the Lord God. 
And verily, I say unto you that the conditions of this law are these. All covenants, contracts, bonds, obligations, oaths, vows, performances, connections, associations, or expectations that are not made and entered into and sealed by the Holy Spirit, a promise of him who is anointed as well for time and for all eternity, and that too most holy by revelation and commandment through the medium of mine anointed, whom I have appointed on the earth to hold this power, and I have appointed unto my servant Joseph to hold this power in the last days, and there is never but one on the earth at a time who this power and the keys of this priesthood are conferred. That's in parentheses, meaning it was probably added. However, um, are of no efficacy, virtue, or force, and in and after the resurrection from the dead, for all contracts that are not made unto this end have an end when men are dead. Behold, mine house is a house of order, saith the Lord God, and not a house of confusion. Will I accept of an offering, saith the Lord, that is not made in my name? Or will I receive at your hands that which I have not appointed? And will I appoint unto you, saith the Lord, except it be by law, even as I and my father ordained unto you before the world was? I am the Lord thy God, and I give unto you this commandment, that no man shall come unto the Father but by me, or by my word, which is my law, saith the Lord. And everything that is in the world, whether it be ordained or of men, by thrones, or principalities, or powers, or things of name, whatsoever they may be, they are not that are not by me or by my word, saith the Lord, shall be thrown down and shall not remain after men are dead, neither in nor after the resurrection, saith the Lord your God. For whatsoever things remain are by me, and whatsoever things are not by me shall be shaken and destroyed. Therefore, if a man marry him a wife in the world, and he marry her not by me nor by my word, and he covenant with her so long as he is in the world and she with him, their covenant and marriage are not of force when they are dead. And when they are out of the world, therefore they are not bound by any law when they are out of the world. Therefore, when they are out of the world, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are appointed angels in heaven, which angels are ministering servants to minister for those who are worthy of far more and exceeding an eternal weight of glory. For these angels did not abide the law, my law. Therefore, they cannot be enlarged, but remain separately and singly without exaltation in their saved condition to all eternity, and from henceforth are not gods, but are angels of God forever and ever. And again, verily I say unto you, if a man marry a wife and make a covenant with her for time and for all eternity, if that covenant is not by me or by my word, which is my law, and is not sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise through him who I have anointed and appointed unto this power, then it is not valid, neither of force when they are out of the world, because they are not joined by me, saith the Lord, neither by my word. When they are out of the world, it cannot be received there, because the angels and the gods are appointed there, by whom they cannot pass. They cannot therefore inherit my glory, for my house is a house of order, saith the Lord God. And again, verily, I stand to you, if a man marry a wife by my word, which is my law, and by the new and everlasting covenant, and it is sealed unto them by the Holy Spirit of promise, by him who is anointed, unto whom I have appointed this power and the keys of his priesthood. And it shall be said unto them, ye shall come forth in the first resurrection. And if it be after the first resurrection, in the next resurrection, and and shall inherit thrones, kings, principalities, and powers, dominions, all heights and depths, 
Then shall it be written in the Lamb's book of life that he shall commit no murder whereby to shed innocent blood. And if ye abide in my covenant and commit no murder whereby to shed innocent blood, it shall be done unto them in all things whatsoever my servant hath put upon them in time and through all eternity and shall be of full force when they are out of the world. And they shall pass up the angels and the gods which are set there to their exaltation and glory in all things as hath been sealed upon their heads which glory shall be a fullness and a continuation of the seeds forever and ever. Then shall they be gods because they have no end. Therefore shall they be from everlasting to everlasting because they continue. They shall be above all because all things are subject unto them. Then shall they be gods because they have all power and the angels are subject unto them. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye abide my law, ye cannot attain to this glory. For straight is the gate, and narrow the way that leadeth unto the exaltation and continuation of the lives. And few there be that find it, because ye receive me not in the world, neither do ye know me. But if ye receive me in the world, then shall ye know me, and shall receive your exaltation, that where I am ye shall be also." This is eternal lives, to know the only wise and true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he hath sent. I am he. Receive ye, therefore, my law. Broad is the gate, and wide the way that leadeth into death, to the death. And many there are that go in thereat, because they receive me not. Neither do they abide in my law. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man marry a wife according to my word, and they are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, according to mine appointment, and he or she shall commit any sin or transgression of the new law and ever, new and everlasting covenant, whatever, and all manner of blasphemies, and if they commit no murder, wherein they shed innocent blood, yet they shall come forth in the first resurrection and enter into their exaltation, but they shall be destroyed in the flesh and shall be delivered unto the buffetings of Satan, unto the day of redemption, saith the Lord. We just read that one the other night also. It was um, one of the other references. Verse 27, the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, which shall not be forgiven in the world nor out of the world, is in that ye commit murder wherein ye shed innocent blood and assent unto my death after ye have received my new and everlasting covenant, saith the Lord God. And he that abideth not this law can in no way wise enter into my glory, but shall be damned, saith the Lord God. Or, I'm sorry, saith the Lord, I am the Lord thy God, and will give unto thee the law of my holy priesthood, as was ordained by me and my father before the world was. Abraham received all things whatsoever he received by revelation and commandment, by my word, saith the Lord, and hath entered into his exaltation and sitteth upon his throne. Abraham received promises concerning his seed and of the fruit of his loins, from whose loins ye are namely my servant Joseph, which were to continue so long as they were in the world, and as touching Abraham and his seed out of the world, they should continue, both in the world and out of the world, should they continue as innumerable as the stars, or if you were to count the sand upon the seashore, ye could not number them. This promise is yours also, because ye are of Abraham. And the promise was made unto Abraham, and by this law is the continuation of the works of my father, wherein he glorified himself." Go ye therefore and do the works of Abraham, enter into my law, and ye shall be saved. But if ye enter not into my law, ye cannot receive 
the promise of my father, which he made unto Abraham. God commanded Abraham and Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham to wife. And why did she do so? Do it because this was the law, and from Hagar sprang many people. This, therefore, was fulfilling, among other things, the promises. Was Abraham therefore under condemnation? Verily I say unto you, Nay, the Lord commanded it. Abraham was commanded to offer his son Isaac. Nevertheless, it was written, Thou shalt not kill. Abraham, however, did not refuse, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Abraham received concubines, and they bore him children, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness, because they were given unto him, and he abode in my law. As Isaac also and Jacob did none other things than that which they were commanded. And because they did none other things than that which they were commanded, they have entered into their exaltation according to the promises and sit upon thrones and are not angels but are gods. David also received many wives and concubines and also Solomon, Moses, my servants, and also, as also many others of my servants from the beginning of creation until this time. And in nothing did they sin save in those things which they receive not of me. David's wives and concubines were given unto him of me by the hand of Nathan, my servant, and others of the prophets who had the keys of this power. And in none of these things did he sin against me, save in the case of Uriah and his wife. And therefore he hath fallen from his exaltation and received his portion, and he shall not inherit them out of the world. For I gave them unto another, saith the Lord. I am the Lord thy God, and I gave unto thee my servant Joseph, and appointment, and restore all things. Ask what ye will, and it shall be given unto you according to my word. And as ye have asked concerning adultery, verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man receiveth a wife in the new and everlasting covenant, and if she be with another man, and I have not appointed unto her by the holy anointing, she hath committed adultery, and shall be destroyed. If she be not in the new and everlasting covenant, and she be with another man, she has committed adultery. And if her husband be with another woman, and he was under a vow, he hath broken his vow and hath committed adultery. And if she hath not committed adultery, but is innocent and hath not broken her vow, and she knoweth it, and I reveal it unto you, my servant Joseph, then shall you have power by the power of my holy priesthood to take her and give her unto him that hath not committed adultery, but hath been faithful." for he shall be made ruler over many. For I have conferred upon you the the keys and power of the priesthood, wherein I restore all things and make known unto you all things in due time. This seems like it is way longer of a chapter, but I'm going to keep on going because it quoted the whole chapter. Verse 46, and verily, verily, I say unto you, that whatsoever you seal on earth shall be sealed in heaven, and whatsoever you bind on earth in my name and by my word, saith the Lord, it shall be eternally bound in the heavens, and whosoever sins you remit on earth shall be remitted eternally in the heavens, and whosoever sins you retain on earth shall be retained in heaven. And again, verily, I say unto you, whomsoever you bless, I will bless, and whomsoever you curse, I will curse, saith the Lord. For I, the Lord, am thy God. And again, verily, I say unto you, my servant Joseph, that whatsoever you give on earth and to whomsoever you give anyone on earth by my word and according to my law, it shall be visited with blessings and not cursings and with my power, saith the Lord, and shall be without condemnation on earth and in heaven. 
For I am the Lord thy God, and will be with thee even unto the end of the world. And through all eternity, for verily I seal upon you your exaltation, and prepare a throne for you in the kingdom of my Father, with Abraham your father. Are you there? Yeah. Uh, There's just been a lot of chatter up here at the mine, so I've been listening the whole time. But um, I did want to say something about this section. So um, there is a group of people who are avidly against polygamy because uh, Jacob chapter 2 talks about how polygamy is an abomination, but like they take it out of context. And then like the last book that we read, we talked about polygamy and all over the Bible where it talks about polygamy. Um, And in my studies to try to defend and, and fight against these, these lies that this group of people who hate polygamy are spreading. Um, I read the Nauvoo Expositor because God told me to read the Nauvoo Expositor, which was a, uh, a newspaper publication that was put out by William Law and others who were disaffected at the church. Okay, come on. <sighs> anyway, so... Um, Okay, nobody cares. <laughs> Sorry. I, that's what I say all night when they talk about things that, like, anyway, I'm going to let that go. No, there's not room for two. It should change, you morons. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, you're hearing how I talk to, the, to myself when uh, I hear stupid. Anyway, <laughs> these guys should know better at shift change. There's only one room for one truck up there to get loaded. So anyway, um, William Law was like the first counselor in the first presidency, I think. Um, Anyway, so he was disaffected from the church. He was excommunicated. He freaked out about uh, money being collected for the uh, the tithing in the temple and like just a bunch of stuff. But one of his big complaints was polygamy was being practiced in the church in Nauvoo. And he said in the affidavit section on page two, column four of the Nauvoo Expositor, that um, that Hiram Smith in April of 1844 presented to him a revelation, and he goes over the revelation, and it sounds very much like section 132. However, many years later, he saw the section 132 as it was published by Brigham Young, and he said that was added to by Brigham Young and that the one that he was uh, read to by Hiram was only a couple pages long and the one that Brigham presented to the church was like eight or nine pages long. So Brigham added a whole bunch of stuff to the revelation, which, you know what, maybe that's okay if he's a prophet, seer, and revelator. But the problem is in section 124, Jesus rejected the church. Brigham was not the Lord's anointed. And now I'm going down into the void where I'm going to break up. So I just want to, like, tell people, you know, you can't just accept it because it's in a book. There's a lot to Section 132 that was added, but polygamy is not one of those things. Parts of it about polygamy was added. 
But uh, And Brigham did this to other sections in the Doctrine and Covenants as well. He added things, and he spliced revelations together. For instance, section 103, where it talks about the, the man like unto Moses and how the angel of the Lord will go up before the people, but also my presence. That's talking about two individual servants. And then you get to the point where, where the revelation says, and my servant Joseph is the man who I liken unto whatever. That's a spliced revelation. One ends, another begins. And people want to say that the man likened to Moses is Joseph Smith, which is a lie. And I've talked about that in the past. Am I still coming across? Yep, loud and clear. No worries. Okay, yeah, sometimes it works here and sometimes it doesn't. It's so weird. Anyway, but um, I know I'm going in off on the tangents, but I, I just had so much to say about all this. Um, okay, so when Moroni appears to Joseph Smith for the first time, he tells him about all these scriptures that are about to be fulfilled. The one in Joel about uh, like old men seeing visions and young men dreaming dreams or whatever it is, and all these spiritual gifts that are going to take place right before the end, uh, which is interesting because now the LDS church will say, well, you can't have a vision if you're not the president of the church, and like, I don't know, anyway. But um, one of the other revelations that uh, that, uh, Moroni said was about to take place was Isaiah chapter 11. And Isaiah chapter 11 speaks of the stem, the servant known as the stem, the servant known as the root, the rod, and the branch. So four Davidic servants. Everybody talks about the Davidic servant. No, there's four, actually. Um, uh, according to I, Isaiah chapter 11. And the other thing that's interesting is Moroni says that the man of Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 23 is Christ, but the day had not yet, be, uh, not yet come when he would be rejected by his people. Joseph Smith was not rejected by his people. I mean, some yes, but not, not even close to all. Okay, most of the people accepted, and even William Law, he accepted him as a fallen prophet, meaning he was once a prophet, but now that he's talking about polygamy, he must be fallen. You know, so um, the man of Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 23 wouldn't be Jesus Christ either because he had already been rejected by his people. But Genesis chapter 49 when it's talking, when Jacob has given his blessing to Joseph, he talks about the uh, the stone of Joseph, which ignorantly people say is Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus Christ was from the the house of Ju- uh, Judah. He was the stone and the rock of Judah, and it is that there are two servants, Messiah ben Judah and Messiah ben Joseph who come, and they're both Davidic servants. Now, Jesus is the Redeemer. He's God the Redeemer. But God the Witness was taught that he would come on the earth by Joseph Smith in two different quotes where Joseph talks about, you know, God the Witness coming in the flesh, 
that he needed to come in the flesh and gain a body to do the same or similar things that Jesus did. In Zechariah 4.14, it talks about two anointed ones or two messiahs that stand before the Lord of the whole earth. And this is God the Father, who is the Lord of the whole earth, or the Most High, who is God the Creator, who we know as Father Adam, who was Michael. God the Redeemer, who is Yeshua, who the Gentiles call Jesus, and God the Witness, who is the Ruach HaKodesh, or the Holy Ghost, who comes on the earth in the last days. Now, people want to believe that Joseph Smith is God the Witness. However, in the Doctrine and Covenants, I think it's section 45, the individual who is speaking to Joseph and giving him the revelation, he says something really key. He says, and the day will come when you will know or that you will see my face and know that I am. Well, Joseph Smith had already seen the Father and the Son. This is God the Witness speaking in the Spirit before his mortality to Joseph Smith saying that they, the day will come when you will see my face and know that I am because Jesus and, and the Father have already appeared to Joseph Smith. Also in section 130, Jesus tells Joseph Smith that God the Witness or the Holy Ghost is a spirit being. At that time, he was. So Joseph Smith was in mortality upon the earth. Also in the last sermon, the Sermon at the Grove, it reiterates, and Joseph specifically says that God the Witness is a spirit. At that time, he was. But he also taught in another place that the Holy Ghost or God the Witness has to come in the flesh, into mortality, which has happened. Um, I am going up in the gap between uh, us at the top of Barrel Hill, doing about 19 miles an hour. Can you still hear me? Thank you. Yeah, I can still hear you. Sorry about that. That's fine. Okay, I just want to make sure I'm not breaking up when I'm talking about this stuff. Anyway, yeah. so, um, you know, and I, I know that there's probably more stuff that I could throw out there to, like, try to tell people, look, Joseph Smith is not God the Witness. But also, Joseph Smith did receive the revelation, which Brigham added to, which we know is Section 132. And so all of this stuff was not part of the original revelation on plural celestial marriage. But the revelation of plural celestial marriage was received, and it was delivered to William and Jane Law in April of 1844, a few months before the death of the prophet Joseph Smith. And they were having a problem with it because they thought that polygamy was a horrible, evil abomination, like this other group of individuals who proclaims to know that polygamy is a horrible, evil abomination, and it's a lie. Um, when God, Joseph Smith said that when God raises up a prophet, he, uh, Satan will raise up prophets who are very close to the truth to, to deceive the people. They're Judas goats. They will teach you deep doctrines. And these individuals are very sincere. They may even have received revelation from God in different areas, and they know a whole bunch of stuff. But they will lead you astray in key doctrines. And when God rose, took me and raised me up, 
In 2003, Satan also raised up an individual by the name of Denver Snuffer, who has led many people astray. So what's going on here is people are waking up to the fact that the church was rejected in Nauvoo according to Section 124, and they are looking for a prophet who will speak smooth things to them. And at the same time, I was raised up when I saw the Father and the Son at the same time that Denver Snuffer was raised up as well. And in 2013, um, he was excommunicated from the church, but so was I, because nobody can have the experiences that I've had unless they're the Lord's anointed and unless they are, uh, you know, the... uh, the leaders of the church, according to the modern LDS church. But the problem is, in section 124, Jesus Christ told Joseph Smith, build a temple whereby the Most High can come dwell therein, that he, not Jesus, the Most High can re- will restore that which was lost unto you or that which was taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood. Now, Denver Snuffer and these other individuals will say that the LDS Church lost the Melchizedek priesthood. But what I say unto them is that how is it possible that you're supposed to go into the presence of the Father to receive the fullness of the priesthood if you don't have the Melchizedek priesthood? Because in order to be in the physical presence of the Father for him to restore anything to you, you actually have to have the Melchizedek priesthood for that to happen. Now, now uh, I presented this information to the group of individuals that I am, that I enjoy talking to them and everything. But um, at first, they flipped out when I first presented it a year and a half ago to try to like help lead them away from this delusion that they're in, um, like. I'm just going to say it. Phil Davis, he was, like, trying to make it make sense because he can't let go of this false doctrine because he's in strong delusion. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, if they, receive, or if they believe the lie, and the lie could be false doctrine or following a false prophet or a fallen prophet or whatever, if they receive the lie they received strong delusion that they all might be damned because they did not love the truth enough to go to God to get it, to get the information. Because the only person that has the correct interpretation is God. And in order to get the correct interpretation, you actually have to be a prophet. Which James chapter 1 verse 5 says, if you lack wisdom, ask God, right? And then he will give it to you. That means you're a prophet. If God has given you information and you're receiving revelation, you may not be a major prophet, but you're still a prophet. Okay, because God is no respecter of person, right? Okay, so um, Bill Davis said that, oh, this, this is Jesus talking to the church or something like that. You know, and I'm like, no, this is Jesus telling Joseph to build a, a temple in my name. In whose name? In Jesus' name. In my name. So it's Jesus giving the revelation for the Most High to dwell therein that he not Jesus, the Most High, the Father, can come and restore that which was lost unto you or that which was taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood. 
is the Doctrine and Covenants section 124, verses 27 and 28. Okay? So, um, later on in the Revelation, it says all the stuff that's going to happen if they do what they're told in building the temple, none of which ever happened. Jesus also says all the stuff that's going to happen if they are disobedient. And the stuff he says is going to happen if they're disobedient is exactly what happened. Jesus said he would fight their battles for them. They would not be removed from their place. They were removed from their place. He said instead of blessings, you'll receive cursings, wrath, and indignation, and a whole bunch of other stuff, which is what happened. Thousands, tens of thousands of people died leaving Nauvoo. Okay? So they were cursed. They were rejected from their place. And the Father never came to restore the fullness of the priesthood. They never finished the temple. Jesus says if you are disobedient and you don't do what I say, you'll be rejected as a church with your dead. Now, that is a principle also. So they didn't do what they were told so they were rejected in Nauvoo. Now, Brigham Young said that he got the fullness of the priesthood from Joseph Smith in the red brick store. Problem is, Joseph Smith, Smith never received the fullness of the priesthood. He never did. And the Revelation, section 124, which was received January 18, 1841, Jesus says it has to be done in the Nauvoo temple, which was never finished. Never finished. Jesus also says, if you don't do what I say, you'll be rejected as a church with your dead, which is what happened. They were rejected as a church with their dead. And he also says, all they who hinder this work, and what is the work? The work is building the temple in Nauvoo for the Most High to come dwell therein that he, the Father, might restore the fullness of the priesthood to the saints, which is more than the Melchizedek priesthood. It is a higher level of the Melchizedek priesthood. In order to come into the presence of the Father, you have to have the Melchizedek priesthood conferred upon you by a man who has it. So the Father, the Most High, could never, never restore anything to the people if they did not already continue to have the Melchizedek priesthood, which these individuals like Denver Snuffer and others want to say is like that, that the whole, the whole, uh, that the holy priesthood, the Melchizedek priesthood, was taken from the church. It is a lie, and the individuals who are presenting this information are Judas goats. They are leading you astray, and they will fight tooth and nail against this thing that I'm telling you. But also, they fight against polygamy, which Revelation was received in 1844 which is talked about by William Law in Nauvoo Expositor, page 2, column 4, in the affidavit section. And it's not just William and Jane Law that talk about this. There are others who testified that they saw the revelation as well. Also, I'm sorry I'm going to have to attack Phil Davis. I like him. He understands a lot of stuff, a lot more than most people in the LDS church. And he can take you to places where Joseph talked about things and show you that what he's saying is correct. But then he becomes a Judas goat when he talks about how Jesus' name was never, Jesus, or was never Yeshua. Okay, he fights a bit against that. 
and against the people who are understanding that Yeshua was the name of Jesus when he was in mortality, and that there were no J's in the Hebrew alphabet. And in fact, in the 1611 King James Version of the Bible, they didn't have the letter J until later on in the, sixth, uh, the 17th century. There was no J in the, e, uh, in the Hebrew alphabet or the English alphabet before uh, the 17th century. In the 1611 original King James Version of the Bible, he's called Jesus with an I. Now, we call him Jesus because Jesus, our God the Father is very patient with his people. And you know what? If you want to call him Jesus because that's what your tradition is, then call him Jesus. If you want to call him Jesus because you live in a Spanish-speaking culture, call him Jesus. But the fact of the matter is, while he was in mortality, his name was Yeshua because his name was salvation, which is what he came to do. He was a prophet and an apostle and an eyewitness of the Father, an apostle of the Father, to come to bring salvation to the people. And his name means that. That name is Yeshua. And Phil Davis fights against that name. And he fights against other key places. Uh, uh, key topics in the gospel um, I'm going into the dip I'm going to keep talking Hopefully I don't break up too much One of the Christ call Which I have a problem with Is everything is about uh, Going to God with a broken heart And a contrite spirit And that you have to do that And even if you're baptized And even if you're obedient And whatever that you have to have this thing, and they are forced, they're telling people, you've got to strive for this. And you know what? You should. By being obedient to what God has commanded in the rest of the scriptures, not singling out one topic for all the rest of time. And they want to condemn everybody who has not received the, the baptism of fire according to what they say it is, and that's wrong. It's wrong for them to do that. They also ignore the gathering of Israel. They also ignore consecration and united orders. They ignore a lot of things. It, they're just, there's a lot of truth, though. But they also want to say that Joseph Smith is back on the earth and that somebody has seen him and whatever. And you know what? I don't doubt that Joseph will come back to, do the, or to help with the work. But Isaiah saw two servants. He saw righteousness, who is one servant of God, and he saw salvation, which is another servant of God. But they want to say that Joseph is the only servant, Davidic servant, that's coming back, even though Moroni said that Isaiah chapter 11, that there were four Davidic servants. Also, um, in section 113, when it talks about who the stem is, Jesus Christ says the stem is Christ, but <coughs> excuse me. And everybody wants to say, well, that means Jesus. When you understand that Moroni was talking about another Christ, which means anointed one, which is an apostle of the Father that comes as a witness who is speaking to you at this time, you realize that Messiah ben Joseph is also a Christ. 
See, the Gentiles want to, they don't understand what the meaning of the word Christ is. Jesus wore many hats. He was a redeemer. He was a Messiah or a Christ. He was a, an apostle of the Father, and he was a prophet of God as well. But they don't understand what Christ means. Cyrus was named as a Christ, and he was a Gentile. Isaiah named him. Now, what did Cyrus do as a Christ? He delivered the Israelites from the bondage of Babylon. What did Jesus do as a Christ? He delivered the people, the whole world, all those who accept him, from the bondage of sin and death. That's what Christ do. They deliver people from bondage. And what does Messiah ben Joseph do? He teaches the people. He uh, corrects false doctrines. He testifies of, of the Father and the Son, who he has seen in the flesh. And I'm talking about me, just so we're clear. God told me to be bold with my witness, and I am. And in time, my job is to deliver the people from the bondage of Babylon the Great. Now, why are you in bondage? Why is it that your bondage is so much greater than that of Egypt? Moses was a, a, a Messiah as well in the, in the fact that he delivered the people from the bondage of Egypt. But why are we in bondage today? We're in bondage because of lies. Because you believe lies. You believe that Prophets, seers, and revelators don't have to have fruits of being prophets, seers, and revelators. You follow individuals who proclaim to be the prophets, seers, and revelators of God who do not have the fruits of being prophets, seers, and revelators. They do not give you revelation. They don't speak about visions that God has given them. They don't lead the church by revelation of God to the people. They pick apart the dead church, the carcass, because remember, the church was rejected in Nauvoo. It is now a dead carcass, which Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says that the eagles will gather together where the carcass is. The carcass is the church. The eagles are the elect, and they're feasting upon the meat of the dead church. These, uh, these individuals will quote all day long, they'll quote themselves, and then they quote Joseph, and then they quote the scriptures, but they do not have the fruits of being prophets, seers, or revelators. Not even a little bit. All they can do is feast upon the meat of the gospel, which meat they reject. Now, other individuals who are the fundamentalists and people within the church, you don't have to be you can be a fundamentalist inside the church. All that means is that you believe in the doctrines as revealed to the prophet of the Restoration, Joseph Smith, and you're not going to throw things out because the church decides they don't like it. The church has rejected plural celestial marriage, which is one of the meats of the gospel. The church has rejected the gathering of Israel which is a commandment in the Restoration Scriptures that Joseph Smith received. 
the church has rejected the law of adoption. They don't even understand it, and they've replaced it with, with genealogy, which is wrong. They, they've rejected, and they don't understand the scriptures they read. They have rejected the fact that Jesus is the great-grandson of Jehovah. They want to say Jesus and Jehovah are the same person. Well, in Moses chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, Jehovah is speaking to Moses, and in verse 6, Jehovah says, And Moses, you are in the similitude of mine only begotten son who will come in the meridian of time. Speaking of Jesus. That's Jehovah speaking of Jesus, another individual, not Jesus speaking of himself as Jehovah. And in Ether chapter 3, Jesus says, this is my spirit body. This is what I'll look like when I come in the flesh. No man has seen me at any time. That's after the flood. Before the flood, Jehovah walked as a resurrected being with many individuals, including Adam, Methuselah, and Enoch, who he walked with face to face. Also after the flood, he had a meal of meat and dairy as a resurrected being with two or three other individuals who also had bodies. Isn't that interesting? Before the resurrection, they had bodies. And, uh, and he, had a, he had a meal of meat and dairy. Well, didn't Jesus just say in the same basic time period that he has to wait till the meridian of time to come and get a body and that this is his spirit body and this is what it'll look like when he come in the flesh. But then at the same time, we have Abraham eating a meal of meat and dairy with Jehovah who has a body, which goes right along with section 130 where Jesus, uh, well, at that time, section 130 in the 1800s, Jesus had a body at that time. But the father had a body before that. Because the Father is a tangible, physical being, who I have seen face to face in the flesh. So anyway, there's lots of other things that they uh, that they are leading people astray on. You know, just uh, it's it's so laced, and I I bite my tongue almost clean off when they start talking about this stuff. But you know what? I know that we all have things that we're working on. But when they don't understand the truth and get it by revelation and they run amok with what they consider and assume to be true, they are actively leading people astray. And you know what? The people deserve it. People who hear anybody say a thing and do not take it to God to make sure what they are saying is true and what you are believing is true, and people who do not study it out and research on their own, they deserve to be led astray by these Judas goats. So even though I have, and God's told me to keep my peace with them on the call, and I try. And I, I do bring up some things, you know, but they always have an excuse. Like, for instance, over the last year and a half, they have, um, their, their position has changed, because I bring it up every once in a while, about Section 124 and how the church still had the Melchizedek priesthood. Well, the new thing is that, well, the church lost it, but Joseph Smith had it, but he couldn't give it to anybody else because God took the keys away from Joseph Smith, and the keys had to be restored by the Father, so Joseph had the fullness of the priesthood, which is the Melchizedek priesthood, but nobody else did. 
So all that was going to happen in the Nauvoo Temple was the father was going to come to Joseph Smith to restore the keys so that he could pass on the priesthood. When they have to make crap up as they go along, you know that they're full of crap because they are bringing forth nothing but crap to continue on with their strong delusion and their false doctrines as Judas goats, which Denver Snuffer and these other individuals are doing. And they may have much truth. But if you cannot accept me as the witness of the Father, you will not be accepted by him or the Son. And that is that the was a little bit broken up. You should re you should repeat just what you said, just that last thing, because I feel like it's important and it was hard to hear. So just say it one more time. I know I'm on wash plant. Hold on. Slowing down. I I'll say the important stuff when I get to the top of the wash plant. I'm almost there. It's not that big of a hill, but I do slow down. Okay. <laughs> to like thirty miles an hour on this stupid hill. And you know what? This five hundred dollars uh, like cell phone booster, like it does a good job. But there's just places where it it can't, you know. Hopefully Elon Musk gets his uh, satellite cell phone service for the whole world out, you know, sooner than later. Won't that be nice? We don't have to have cell phone towers anymore. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Did you know that electricity This chapter, this page is like, is like taking way longer and than it was supposed to and I'm like oh my goodness because it was like these are such short chapters it's going to be so quick we won't have anything to talk about and then this happens uh, and it's like uh, I don't know <laughs> we've been married almost 10 years you think that I can't turn <laughs> one page into two hours <laughs> I know <laughs> and okay, I was thinking that after that- you started talking <laughs> I know, I'm just letting loose. But okay. like I said to you the other day, it doesn't matter what I say on the radio show because me talking on the radio show is like me yelling into the closet. Nobody listens and nobody hears. <laughs> but you know what? Blood's off my skirt. Yeah, I don't have to worry about not doing what God told me to do. You know, Satan can tell people and distract people all day long and keep them away from this information. And that's on them. That's between them and God, not me. I'm just going to do what I'm supposed to do, even if nobody listens. Okay. Now, i got to go back just a little bit. In Daniel chapter 12, Daniel sees in vision Michael, our father, standing up from his throne. In the last days. And Daniel sees a servant of God who he calls the man clothed in linen. Now, what is linen? Linen is a fabric. And in the Torah, you're not supposed to mix linen and wool, which is a metaphor. You're not supposed to mix your righteous butt (laughs) with the world. Paul says to Timothy, To be friends with the world is to be in opposition or enmity with God. We're not supposed to do that. The LDS church, they don't know anything about that scripture, you know, because they're going to cherry pick what they want to do. 
So they're going to be popular with the world, which contradicts former revelation. To be friends with the world is to be at enmity with God. Now, the man clothed in linen is called that because he does not make friends with the world. And I'm talking about myself. In the spring of 2013, God told me to stop my truck near Bliss, Idaho. And I was by the Snake River when this happened. I was actually collecting onions at a uh, place to take him down to Texas. And I stood on the banks of the Snake River in Bliss, Bliss, Idaho, and I did what God commanded me. Now, what did he ask me to do? He says, raise your arms to the square and use the authority that I have given you to sever the priesthood and the ordinances of all the holy people on the whole earth. I was shocked when he told me this. I said, why do you want me to do that? I was so confused. I did not know about Daniel chapter 12. He said, because if they will not accept you as my witness, I will not accept them. And neither will Jesus, or the Redeemer. He also told me later on that the reason why that had to be done was because part of the setting in order requires a hard reset. Because there is so much corruption in all of the branches of the restoration, including and not limited to the LDS Church, and because of uh, Hebrew J. Grain, what he did was not conferring priesthood from 1921 to 1957. There had to be a hard reset. So the priesthood would remain on the earth, but it would be one man who held it. And that man is the Davidic servant, or the man clothed in linen, who I am. And in order for you to receive your confirmation and your ordination, you must be obedient to what God has asked, telling me to tell you, which is partly, you've got to leave the city. God has chosen Emory County as a gathering place for those in North America. But you also have to be rebaptized and receive all of your conferrals of priesthood and your ordination from the hand of the Davidic servant, of myself, the second witness of the Father, Messiah ben Joseph. And if you cannot do that because of your pride and your arrogance, because you think that how dare this Mark Wittgenwalter tell me that my priesthood is invalid, that's between you and God, but he will not accept you. I might sound arrogant, but you're mistaking that for boldness. You're being left without excuse. And I don't care what the excuse is for you not to do what you are told to do. It will not matter when you get to the judgment. You will stand alone, and it won't matter if you say, well, I was following this other guy 
who were telling me that all things were all good and well in Zion, who spoke smooth things to my ears, and I didn't accept Mark Lichtenwalter as the witness that he is, because I was deceived by the cunning craftiness of men and doctrines, false doctrines promoted by a church that was started supposedly by Joseph Smith that wasn't rejected according to Section 124. It doesn't matter what your excuse is. If you're hearing these words, you are left with that excuse. And if you are hearing these words and you do not share it with other individuals, actively share it, then the blood will be upon your garment. And all those who would have been saved if they would have known the message, your blood, their blood will be upon your head. And you will have to pay for that as a judgment. And these things are a lot more harsh. Like the God that you believe is some kind of hippie God. Well, guess what? The God that you believe also sends people to hell. He is not as big of a hippie as you think he is. And you probably would have been all offended when Jesus took his whip out that he fashioned. He took the time to premeditate and fashion this whip and go into the into the temple to clean out the temple. Now, I wouldn't mind doing something like that as well. But Isaiah said that I would not preach in the streets. But he also said that my word would sprinkle the nation. And the reason why he said those two things, which seemed to contradict, is because he knew that at this time that there would be social media and that my voice would go among all seven continents of the earth on the Internet. And that I would sprinkle the nations with this testimony that I give to you. And that I would not be heard in the streets because God is hiding me in the palm of his hand in a way where I am being protected. But you are still able to have this message be heard by me sprinkling it through this platform to the whole earth. And this whole, the whole false idea that the Davidic servant won't come on the scene until after all the destruction is really weird because in order for him to sprinkle the nations with, with the testimony, he has to have the Internet, and after the destruction, it'll be too late. And that is another one of the things that Phil Davis and other individuals are leading the people astray on. They're saying, oh, we are the ones who are sharing the message that this Davidic servant is upon the earth. But don't worry about it because he is not preaching at this time. He has to do all these other things. And there's only one Davidic servant, even though Jesus or Isaiah says that there are two. So, anyway, I will... Um, I'm going to let you finish the chapter. I'm going to try to bite my tongue off again. Luckily, it goes back every night at 6 p.m. when we do the radio show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, go ahead, Kim. I'll mute myself. Okay, I was just giving Emmett some directions. 
um, for the littles because they're upstairs running around playing. So I'm still trying to mom. You know what I mean? Or maybe not. <laughs> uh, just so you know, I am almost yeah. at Emory County. And I said I would mute myself oh. because I'm just going to break up. And then you up. did. <laughs> and then I did. And so I am going to Hunter Power. So if you have any chocolate oh, okay. cake you could bring me when I come back, that would be great. Lydia, do we have chocolate cake? But that's going to Emory County. We need chocolate cake. <laughs> Give him chocolate cake. I want tiramisu. Kim, you've been saying that for days now. I know. Why didn't I go get some? You know, oh, because I forgot my thing. You <laughs> know what? To go we should go on a date tomorrow. We should go on a date tomorrow and get you. Well, that's super bright. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And get you some tiramisu. What I wanted? And, Ooh, and we could go sushi. on a date and do. <gasps> Tar- I didn't want sushi. sushi. Uh, fine. We were gonna I, do I'm going a, in a movie, County. remember? I love you. Will I you love stop you? talking? You're going to break up. <laughs> I am going to break up. Okay, go okay. ahead. Okay, Joseph Fielding Smith. <laughs> Joseph Fielding Smith, Smith expands the meaning of salvation. Um, talking of redemption, according to the gospel, is the gift of God to every creature born into the world, that he shall live again, being entitled to the resurrection. Christ is frequently spoken of in the scriptures as our Redeemer, and so refers to himself. Salvation is the gift of God, according to the scriptures, to all men who do not sin against the light and become sons of perdition. Salvation is of varying stages or degrees. Every man is to be judged according to his work. And for this reason, various degrees or kingdoms have been established. Exaltation is to dwell in the presence of God and to be like him. Next question. How long is enduring to the end? Man, that's a good question. How long do we have to endure? When is the end coming? Okay, this question arises from scriptures like Second Nephi 31.20, in which Nephi has told us how to enter the straight and narrow path that leads to eternal life. And then, in order for us to continue in that path, he says, Wherefore, ye must press forward with, the stead- with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men. Wherefore, if ye shall press forward, feasting upon the words of Christ, and endure to the end, behold, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. So the answer to this very long-winded question is answered by Elder McConkie in Mormon Doctrine, page 228. Baptism is the gate which puts the converted Christian on the straight and narrow path, which leads to eternal life, to gain the promised inheritance in the celestial world. It is necessary to travel the length of the path and a course of travel which consists in obedience to the laws and principles of the gospel. This process is called enduring to the end, meaning the end of mortal life. Next question, what do you mean qualify for the celestial kingdom? I thought I had to earn a place in the celestial kingdom. Answer, the celestial kingdom is a gift. If thou wilt do good, yea, and hold out faithful to the end, thou shalt be saved in the kingdom of God, which is the greatest of all gifts of God. For there is no gift greater than the gift of salvation. That's DNC 6, chapter 6, verse 13. 
For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. And in Second Nephi chapter 25, verse 23, it says, For we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved. After all, we can do. Jesus Christ has paid the price for us to enter the celestial kingdom. If one qualifies, he will receive this gift free. He does not earn this gift. However, he must make the effort to qualify to prepare himself to enjoy the gift. To illustrate, let us assume you have made application to a university for a scholarship. The scholarship will pay you 12000 per year for four years. Must you earn the scholarship of $2,000? Definitely not. The money has already been earned by someone else. It would be a gift to you. However, you must qualify in order to be considered for the scholarship. You must, number one, graduate from high school, maintain a B average in the past 12 months of school. Emmett, are you listening to this? (laughs) Sorry. Have leadership experience. Be recommended by your bishop. Be willing to live the school standards. Be willing to major in a specific field at college. Make application for the scholarship. As you can see, it does take work and effort to prepare for the scholarship. By the same token, it takes work and effort to qualify for the gift of the celestial kingdom. It takes effort to gain sufficient faith in Jesus Christ to pray, study, and attend church. I think the attend church is, it takes time and effort to repent of well, one's sins and, and then be baptized. Go ahead. Um, we, are We're supposed supposed to to we are supposed to gather with like-minded individuals. It's called the ecclesia, the gathering of, of God's children, you know? Yeah. You can't just be a, a an island under yourself. But what do you? What happens when the whole world is in apostasy? And you have to choose which apostate you want to hang out with. Well, we choose to be with people who do not accept the restoration, but they do believe God, and they do believe in the gifts of God, and know they're doing their best but they're not as they are not in condemnation as much as the LDS churches because the LDS churches had so much more given to them than what the Pentecostals have and they reject it they drag their feet they say that this was for other people we don't have to be obedient to the commandments of God we can only do we, we only have to do the bare minimum And pay tithing to a corporation which has hundreds of billions of dollars in assets, stocks, bonds, and investments because we mingle the sacred offerings of the tithing and the offerings with Babylon the Great mm-hmm. become friends with the world. So who are we going to hang out with? It's We're going to hang out with people. somebody else. I know. I wish I could follow somebody else from the earth too. <laughs> yeah, it 
just easier, like, okay, you just tell me what to do. I'm just going to do what you say. Then I don't have to think for myself. I don't have to get revelation for myself. I can just do what you say, and it better be the right way. Yeah, my grandpa had that uh, attitude. I'd tell him, uh, tell him things. He would say, well, if I'm led astray, then I will be obedient to the leaders of the church because they are the ones that are leading me astray, and it will be upon them, not upon me. You know? Mm-hmm. But, like, it's funny because then he would also teach that this is a do-it-yourself program, and others can lead you, but you have to go to God for yourself to find out what the truth is. You know, so, I don't know. He knows yep. now, I think, hopefully, because he died in 2005, November of 2005. He knew I was going to die, yep. too. And I talked to him before I went in the operating room. His heart was literally the size of a volleyball. And he did not make it off the table at the VA. How convenient. Anyway, I don't trust the VA. I don't trust the government as far as I can. I don't trust them at all. They're Satan. Anyway. Um, okay, next. <laughs> I'm by the airport, by the way. So Hi. is Lydia okay, making me my chocolate cake? Lydia is not making chocolate cake. She's what? not even thinking about making chocolate cake. I'm pretty sure she's hometown. like... <laughs> what time is it? <laughs> I'm at uh, <laughs> well, I still um, have to go to Hunter, so I won't be back. So I won't be back here for another forty-five minutes. But I still would have to go and purchase said cake, and then, and then what? Then what would I do? I would have to put it into a container. Lydia, go find okay. a container and a fork. <laughs> Kim, two forks. Because I'm going to eat it while I'm waiting for you. <laughs> Kim. Yes, dear. I'm joking. You don't need but to get me much? chocolate cake. Okay, I'll keep reading. <laughs> okay, I love you. I'm going to mute myself. I'm coming into Huntington. Okay. So we should note that the work and effort to qualify for the gift is not equal to the gift. That should be a given. For example, if your last name were Rockefeller, someday you might inherit millions of dollars as long as you were qualified. That is, if you followed the family's traditions by attending certain schools, setting the proper example in the community, and had similar philosophy as espoused by the Rockefellers, you might be eligible for an inheritance. However, your best friend could attend the same schools, be an example in the community, and have the same philosophy as you, but he would not be eligible for these millions of dollars. Why? To you, the money is a gift for which you may qualify. To your friend, on the other hand, that money, that much money, would have to be earned dollar by dollar. The potential gift to you is much greater than the work and effort you expend to qualify for it. Satan desires to discourage us. Therefore, he teaches us that we must earn the celestial kingdom. This is a lie. 
What could we possibly do to earn billions of dollars in this life, let alone the celestial kingdom? We do not earn the celestial kingdom, for we know it is a gift freely given to all who will make application, be baptized, and then press forward. One day, a non-Mormon said, the problem with the LDS church is that you are Indian givers. You give a gift to someone like salvation, and then you take it back and say, one has to earn it, therefore it is not free. I asked him, do I need to accept Christ to be saved? He answered, yes. Does one have to repent of his sins in order to be saved, or can one continue to sin? I continued. He said, one needs to repent of his sins. I then asked if one needed to try to keep the Ten Commandments in order to be saved, and he answered, yes, you should try to keep the commandments. He looked surprised, realizing that he had just said that the salvation was indeed free, but that one had to qualify for that gift by obedience, or it would have no value to him. In D&C 88, verse 33, it says, For what doth it profit a man if a gift is bestowed upon him, and he receives not the gift? Behold, he rejoices not in that which is given unto him, neither rejoices in him who is the giver of the gift. End quote. Again, that's DNC 8833. And you unmuted yourself? Yep. I thought you were biting <clears throat> tongues over there. I'm currently chewing on it. Well, you <laughs> must have a sixth sense because we did finish one whole other page and then you decided to let loose your tongue. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all I wanted to say was there is, um, people want to like, one side of the pendulum is works, one side is grace. And they've got these people who are like all grace all day long, all the time. And then they've got these other people who are all works all day long, all the time. Well, there is truth in the middle of those two statements. Grace without works. Because, Exactly. But God does not save people who are in open, willful rebellion, which is a problem for the LDS church, because they are in open, willful rebellion against truths restored so that Zion can be redeemed, which were restored by the prophet of the restoration, which includes the gathering of Israel to one common place. It's not spread out to the whole world, which includes plural celestial marriage, which includes the law of consecration in united orders, which includes Uh not being friends with the world. Joseph Uh said in (laughs) April of 1844 in the Times and Seasons, if they contradict the Bible, the Book of Mormon, or the Doctrine and Covenants, you have to set them down as imposters. Imposters. The LDS Church contradicts the hell out of the scriptures. And they make excuses as to why they're doing it to lead people and to lull them away into a carnal sense of their own security where they cry all is well in Zion. So that when God does send his servants, 
they are rejected by the people because the servants are telling them that they need to be obedient, which is more than just listening and learning about, but actually shema, which is an active verb, which means they get up and do. And the people do not want to hear it, so they reject the true messengers and they accept the false messengers. The wolves in sheep's clothing, which Isaiah and others saw, these Babylonian businessmen in wolf suits, who are the wolves in sheep's clothing, who lead the church astray, so that they are not obedient to what God has commanded them to do through the scriptures, so that the people have an excuse where they don't have to do what is commanded, because that wasn't for them. That's for other people. We'll lift that later. When is later coming? In the millennium? Today is the prepared, uh, day to prepare to meet God. If you are disobedient before the millennium, you are not going to be restoring anything in the millennium. So anyway, um, go ahead. And how, my, uh, how much more... Uh, you have to read. Well, can you hear me? Yeah. Um, there's a lot to read. Oh. Okay, fine. We have 10 minutes left in the live streaming portion of the radio program. If you want to listen to the rest of the I can read this in 10 reading. minutes. I can read it in yeah. 10 minutes if, if I want, see if you read. Ready? If, 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 if <laughs> you want to listen. You need to call in, and if you have a question or comment, please call in. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827, and there are six lines available for people to call in to ask their questions or make their comments. And if you cannot get in because the phone line is filled out because of some odd miracle that happens, there's a chat room at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. Ready, set? Ready, set, go. Um, yes. Eliza okay. just came around the corner and asked me um, about her clothes right when you said that. No, okay, go ahead, still Lydia. Okay. What value would the gift of a new car be to my daughter if she did not know how to drive and had no desire to learn? The gift would have no value to her except to sell for money. Now, suppose I promised her great blessings in her life if she would pay the necessary price to learn how to drive, if she would give up some of her time to study, if she would promise to live by the rules of the land, and if she would go through the embarrassment of learning how to drive, making mistakes, correcting them, etc. Now, if my daughter would do these requirements, she would get a driver's license. Let us assume that my daughter said, Dad, I do not know if what you say is true, but you have never lied to me and you always have my interest at heart. Therefore, I will do as you suggest. She studied and passed the exam. She made her mistakes and she corrected them. She went through the put downs and the sly remarks of others. At last, she attained her driver's license. Does the gift of the car now have value to her? Yes. Why? Because she put forth the necessary effort to be able to enjoy the gift. Did she earn the gift? No. I paid the thousands of dollars for the car. 
she did not earn a dollar of it, but she put in the necessary work to qualify for the gift, and therefore she is able to enjoy it and use it. Christ has created the celestial kingdom and cleared the path for us to inherit that gift. But we need to put our lives in order, which does take effort and work, by repenting and keeping the necessary commandments in order to qualify for the gift and to be prepared to enjoy it. Question. Let us assume that you have been baptized and received the Holy Ghost. At that moment, you are clean and worthy for a celestial inheritance. But how about today? Now, how can you tell if you are still clean and worthy to inherit the celestial kingdom? You can know by having the companionship of the Holy Ghost. If you are worthy to have the Holy Ghost in your life today, then you know that by God's standard, you are still clean and therefore qualified for that glory. One cannot have the spiritual influences of the Holy Ghost and be unclean according to Bruce R. McConkie. In Doctrinal New Testament Commentary, Volume 3, page 275, quote, His sins are forgiven him as witnessed by the fact that he receives the companionship of the Spirit, which he could not have if he were unworthy. They are rewarded with the companionship of the Spirit, which companionship they cannot have unless they are cleansed and purified from sin. It is an axiomatic gospel, variety, that the Spirit of the Lord will not dwell in an unclean tabernacle, end quote. Again, that's from Bruce R. McConkie, Doctrinal New Testament Commentary, Volume 3, page 275. Next question, yes, but this sounds too easy. Answer, one needs to keep in mind that there is a difference between receiving a celestial body and qualifying for exaltation. One cannot become perfect in this life, and thus one will use the time in the millennium to receive the help needed to reach perfection or exaltation. The key is to walk under the direction of the Holy Ghost daily. As long as we do this, we are in the straight and narrow path that leads to eternal life. We need to follow the counsel of President Heber J. Grant. This is from Heber J. Grant Gospel Standards, Bookcraft, 1944, pages 184 through 85. Quote, I do not believe that any man lives up to his ideals, but if we are striving, if we are working, if we are trying to the best of our ability to improve day by day, then we are in the line of our duty. If we are seeking to remedy our own defects, if we are so living that we can ask God for light, for knowledge, for intelligence, and above all, for his spirit, that we may overcome our weaknesses, then I can tell you we are in the straight and narrow path that leads to eternal life. I'm sorry, to life eternal, then we need have no fear. One cannot walk with a member of the Godhead and not improve daily. To qualify for the gift of becoming clean, one must have faith, must repent, and must be baptized. Then he becomes a candidate for the celestial kingdom. And as long as he walks in the straight and narrow path each day, he is still a candidate for celestial glory. The next step is to press forward, to continue to gain more light, and then to live by it so that one may receive still further light until at last one receives a fullness of light. From DNC 50, verse 24, quote, That which is of God is light, and he that receiveth light and continueth in God 
receiveth more light, and that light groweth brighter and brighter until the perfect day. End quote. Again, DNC chapter 50, uh, verse 24. How does one continue in God? He does this by walking under the direction of the Holy Ghost. How do I know that I am walking in the straight and narrow path daily? First, by feeling the influence of the Holy Ghost in your life each day. Remember, the more you feel the love of God and the more you will feel love for others and peace within yourself and this perfect love cometh through the power of the Holy Ghost. That's Moroni chapter 8, verse 26. Second, by doing straight and narrow path works out of the love you feel for God and Jesus Christ and not out of a need to prove your worth or to outdo someone else. Next question. What is straight and now narrow path work? Answer. Attending priesthood meeting, doing home teaching, blessing the sick, holding family home evening, and doing temple work would be good examples. But so would changing diapers, washing dishes, mowing lawns, paying bills, sleeping, playing with the children, and exercising. The above activities can affect one's spiritual growth. Therefore, the necessary attention must be given to each in order to stay in the straight and narrow path. Next question. Possible for a member of the church to feel he is ready to meet the Savior each and every day? Answer. Yes, by feeling the influence of the Holy Ghost in one's life daily. One can know that he is ready to meet the Savior. Brigham Young has said, in Brigham Young Journal of Discourse, Volume 8, page 124, quote, It is present salvation and the present influence of the Holy Ghost that we need every day to keep us on saving ground. If he had continued in righteousness and obedience to the requirements of heaven, he is saved all the time. Through baptism, the laying on of hands, and obeying the commandments of the Lord, and all that is required of him by the heavens, the living oracles. He is saved now, next week, next year, and continually, and is prepared for the celestial kingdom of God whenever the time comes for him to inherit it. Again, Brigham Young Journal of Discourse, Volume 8, page 124. And President Lorenzo Snow said... All men and women who are worthy to be called latter, um, sorry, interrupted um, by the voice in my headset telling me how many minutes I have left. <laughs> All men and women who are worthy to be called Latter-day Saints should live hour by hour in such a way that if they should be called suddenly from this life into the next, they would be prepared. The preparation should be such that we should not fear to be called away suddenly into the spirit life. It is our privilege to so live as to have the spirit of light and intelligence to that extent that we shall feel satisfied that all will be well if we should be called away at any hour. Next question. Yes, but how about all the commandments, laws, ordinances, and suggestions that I am supposed to keep and do not? Answer. One's light and knowledge always stays ahead of one's works. You will always have more light than you are presently living. This fact of life was by design. It looks like this. Oh, it gives a little diagram 
of light in a circle and a smaller circle inside it made of works. As a person increases his works, his light will also increase. It seems that God allows us to know more than we are presently living. He shows us a few of our weaknesses so we can have hope in overcoming them. If he showed us all of our inadequacies at once, we would be devastated. As we overcome some of our faults, our light grows and we see additional areas that can be improved. You can't have that. It's not ripe yet. (sighs) Amberly, don't argue with me. Go put it back. Some people use this fact of life to condemn themselves. They conclude that they need not study the gospel for they already know more than they are living. They conclude that since they never seem to be able to live up to their light fully, that they should not try. They assume that other people live up to their light and that they are the only ones who do not. Um, Hold on one second. Olivia, can you please go get the spray bottle from Arius? He's running around spraying everything. Such reasoning is self-deafening and is from Satan. It diminishes their hope, and as we have seen, we have each have ample reason to retain hope in our own exaltation. Okay, so assignment. This is the assignment for this chapter. President Heber J. Grant suggests we fulfill the following assignment. The all-important thing for you and me is to discover whether we are walking in the straight and narrow path that leads to life eternal. And if we are not, wherein have we allowed the adversary to blind our minds and to cause us to depart from that path, which will lead us back into the presence of God. Each one should search his own heart to find out wherein he has failed. And then he should diligently seek our Heavenly Father for the assistance of his Holy Spirit that he may come back into the straight path. By the assistance of our Heavenly Father, there is no obligation and no law in the church that we cannot fulfill. The Lord will give us the strength and the ability to accomplish every duty and labor that rests upon us in an acceptable manner in his sight. The only quest is, have we the disposition? Let us follow President Grant's suggestion. If I am not sure whether I am in the straight and narrow path, I will put in writing exactly what is required of me to get on that path today. According to the scriptures and the prophets, so I can feel the influence of the Holy Ghost. And for those who do feel the influence of the Holy Ghost in their lives, and therefore are candidates for the celestial kingdom, and are qualified to meet the Savior, will proceed as follows. I will seek to feel that power each day, so my hope of being raised up, to meet the Savior will grow stronger and stronger until I have that perfect brightness of hope. Okay. So, next time we can read section two of this chapter, it's called Love God and Amen. Because, well, we have sufficiently gone into overdrive. Section two is only (laughs) one page long, though. And chapter four is only like mm, five pages, maybe. So, okay. Yeah. Well, we're not going to do that tomorrow. We'll do that on Monday. And like I said before. Right. Yay. Arius will be so excited to stay with you. He loves daddy days. He does. He loves them. Yeah. He's like, I "I want daddy. 
especially <laughs> on Fridays when I don't have to go to work after watching him all day. That I love that. <laughs> I I love being with him, even on the other days. But it is not easy to be me, <laughs> working all night and watching watching two-year-old all day. <sighs> but anyway, so. Yeah, it, but you know what? I do it. And every day when that happens, I'm like, it's a miracle that I am able to do what I do. Like, it's a flipping miracle. Sleep four hours. Like yesterday, yeah. I slept five. He let me sleep five. You know, and then I was up all day long from like, I don't know, I think it was like 1130 or no, 1030 or I don't know. I slept from like 6.30 to 10.30, I think it was. So. Oh. Oh, I had myself on another channel. Are we dumping these out back still? Uh, this is a Lila. All right, coming on. <laughs> anyway. I am at Hunter Power, as you can probably tell. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, we, um, I don't know what we're going to do tomorrow. Um, I've been listening to a lot of the Levitical Council episodes and a lot of the Kevin Crouton friend episodes um, that are past episodes, and I might choose one of them to... Uh, to play for the Flashback Friday. But if you're interested as a listener, um, I am uploading as fast as I can past episodes. Now, it takes the full time of the episode to do a screen recording and then edit it so that I can put it on YouTube. Anyway, so, I mean, I can only do one or two or three a night, sometimes four if I'm really lucky. But it takes all night long. And it, uh, you know, if it's a three-hour episode, then it's going to take three hours to record it, plus editing time. So, anyway, I guess we should be done with the program for today. And I will let you. Sample. The Grizz is working tonight, but they're still having me dump them back out back. Yay me. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care. God bless. And uh, cue the music. Thanks, Kim. You're welcome. It's loading. It's being slow. Hold on. <laughs>